Today on Awaken to Grace, we continue our great series through the kings of the Old Testament. Oh, friends, today we come to quite a wicked, wicked man. This was a very sinful king, and his name was King Ahaz. And we're going to learn many principles today out of the life of King Ahaz. Today we're calling it the king who refused God's help. We're going to be in several scriptures today, so I hope that you'll follow along with us. And I hope that today speaks into your life. You know, the whole point of this King's series is to draw principles out of the lives of these men that we can incorporate into our own lives. It's going to help us avoid the same mistakes that they made. Friends, it can save us a world of hurt and bad decisions. I hope you're enjoying this entire series. If you would like to order the series, contact Awakened to Grace. We would love to send it to you. Also, download our free mobile app. If you've missed any in this large series as we have followed the Kings of Second Chronicles, you know you can download our mobile app on any device, and when you do, you can go into the archives and you can follow every series that we do. You can also visit our website, awakenedtograce.com. All of our sermons are accessible through that website, along with many, many other things. We write articles, we have music, we have other teachings, we have special series. Check out all that we create at awakenedtograce.com. Well, let's go to God's Word today, 2 Chronicles 28. I'm glad you're with me on Awaken to Grace today. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Today we are continuing our journey through the Old Testament kings, namely the kings of Judah. We are looking at the house of Judah, the Davidic covenant. That's what we have been studying for the entire summer. I told you last week that we were going to be covering King Hezekiah today. That's not fully accurate, and I apologize for that. My intention, you know, today is the 12th king that we have studied, and some of them we've combined. So like last week, we looked at Uzziah and his son Jotham, and we did it together. My original plan was to do Jotham's, that's hard to say, Jotha, Jotha, wait, it's hard to add that apostrophe S. <laughs> Makes you have a little lisp there. His son... Uh, Ahaz, and Ahaz's son, who is Hezekiah. I was going to combine Ahaz and Hezekiah in part one and then do Hezekiah part two the following week. Well, the more I dug into Ahaz, the more I just cannot uh, just make it a blip in our study. I feel like the Lord wants us to speak solely on his life. You know how negative some of the kings, their life's choices, the way they've ended. You know how we, the Bible doesn't hide any of that. The Bible shows you the good, the bad, as well as the ugly. And today with Ahaz, we're going to see some ugly. 
I told you last week, be ready for good news this week. <laughs> Hold off a week. It's going to take us one more week to get there. <laughs> Ahaz was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. And what amazes me is his son, Hezekiah, was the greatest king that Israel produced in this long time period. Hezekiah, as we will see next week, is going to bring revival. And do you know how revival came to the nation of Judah? The Bible says in chapter 29, where we will be, Lord willing, next week, that it came suddenly. Well, before we get there, we're going to have to see the decisions that Ahaz made. And why do we study this? So that you and I can avoid the same mistakes for our own lives and in our own families, with our own children. So let's begin. I'm actually going to take you on a bit of a journey today. We're going to begin in the top part of 2 Chronicles 28. If you've heard me speak much at all, you know I love to stay in one section of Scripture, and I love to break it down verse by verse, phrase for phrase, word for word. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a scenic route. What an odd thing for a blind pastor. (laughs) We're going to go sightseeing a little bit through a couple of other books. We're going to begin in 2 Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 5. Then we're going to go right over to Isaiah chapter 7. And then I'm going to take you back left over to 2 Kings chapter 16. And then we're going to come right back where we started at the end of 2 Chronicles 28. I want to talk about this king named Ahaz. What Ahaz represents to us today is a Christian who refuses God's help. He represents a Christian who wants some of God and a whole lot of the world. Who wants to do things his own way. And go his own path and his own course. But yet he wants God's guidance and God's help just the same. Like so many of the other kings, as we saw last week with the king Uzziah, he wanted to do things on his own terms. And do you know why I believe that the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles and this large study of the life of the kings, do you know why I believe it is so relevant to our day today? It's because we are no different, are we? We love God, but we want to do it often on our own terms. We honor God, but often we want to do it on our own terms. Oh, we worship God, but do we do it only on our own preferences and our own terms? Oh, we follow Christ as long as it's convenient. As long as there's something in it for us. As long as God is answering my prayers and blessing my life. Oh, but you give many today. You give them a cross to bear. And before long, they've turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ahaz represents to us someone who rejects and refuses the help of God. Let's examine him. Number one, 
Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. Let's understand just a little bit of bio about him. He came to the throne at only 20 years old. 20 years old. He reigned only 16 years. And thank God it wasn't 17. He reigned only 16 years. According to verse 2, he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the house of Israel, not the ways of his father, David. You know, I find it interesting that he followed the house of Israel. And you know what I think of? I go back weeks ago when we studied Jehoshaphat. And you remember the fatal flaw that Jehoshaphat did? He married his son, Jehoram, to who? Athaliah, the daughter of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel of the north. And do you remember what we said with Jehoshaphat? Many people make decisions that they'll never live to see the true consequences. And here we are, generation after generation after generation. And here we see Ahaz in the house of Judah, the descendant of King Jehoshaphat. And what do we see? He's still walking in that same sin done by Jehoram and Athaliah. Wow. He went so far as to even make metal images to the bell, to the God of Bell. Verse number three, he sacrificed his own sons, burned them alive. What a wicked wicked human being Ahaz was. Verses 3 and 4, he introduced idolatry all over Judah, all over the land. He brought pagan worship. He refused the ways of God, and he led the nation into deep and gross idolatry that later on in the chapter, 120,000 men of valor would pay for with their lives because the nation turned its back on God. Verse number 5, God delivered them over to the hands of their enemies, namely Syria and Israel to the north. Now, that's a little bit of context. Remember, Uzziah overall was a good king, overall. He sinned by trying to do the priest's job, and he had leprosy break out on his forehead. But overall, he was a good king. Jotham was a little bit better, his son. Jotham did not do anything terribly evil, nor anything terribly great. But he could not turn the hearts of the people back toward the Lord. According to chapter 27. Now when we come to his son in chapter 28. We see what a terrible biography. We see that he is just utterly a wicked man. To burn his sons alive. As a sacrifice to pagan gods. What wickedness. Now I want you to go to Isaiah for a moment. Chapter number 7. If you remember we were introduced last week. To this new young prophet named Isaiah. If you recall, Uzziah was king and under him was the prophet Zechariah. But then toward the end of Uzziah's life came this new, young, fresh prophet Isaiah. 
And he writes of Uzziah in Isaiah 6, the famous passage where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. You remember he said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And what a great passage that is. The Lord said, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I will. But he didn't have the qualifications. Only the Lord Jesus had such qualifications. And now we come to chapter 7, and Isaiah is now prophesying during the reign of this wicked man, this king Ahaz. And the Lord tells Isaiah, take your son with you and go prophesy to this king. Beginning in verse number 9, he's going to come and he's going to give some warnings to this king. He's going to say in verse 9, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. What a word to this generation today. Let me tell you, if you're someone that you just dabble in the things of God, you just dabble a little bit of faith. If you're someone today that you would say, Chad, my faith is just oh so small. I believe the word would say to you that if you're not firm in faith, you're not going to be firm in anything at all. You need to grow firm in your faith. You need to let the Lord establish your heart. And you say, Chad, how do I grow in faith? Oh, the word tells us faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The word. Get in the word of God. It's the only way you'll grow in faith. The word of God. Do you take in the word every day of your life? You know what I do every morning? I did a wonderful study of sheep and Psalm 23 and the shepherd. And you know, a sheep has to drink a lot of water. Its little body is comprised of so much water. But do you know where a sheep gets a great deal of its water? Early in the morning, the dew on the blades of grass. Provides much water for a little sheep. Do you know what my mornings are with God? They're my morning dew. I take in the word. I take it in. Not only spiritually. Not only emotionally. Oh, I take it in physically. I take in the word of God. And like what dew is to a little sheep. That's what the word is every morning in my life. It's my morning do and it sustains me if you're not firm in faith you will not be firm at all in anything church grow your faith can we say amen to that grow your faith if you grow in anything grow in faith if God increases you in anything let God increase your faith for faith is the currency of heaven I have a finance team meeting today right after church. And for two or three hours, we'll meet and we'll discuss the, the bottom line of the church. And we'll discuss the allocation of resources and reallocating here and kingdom work here and kingdom purposes here and practical things there. And, and, and we'll discuss all of this, all of these resources. But let me tell you the true wealth of this church It is faith, for it is the currency of heaven. God's not looking at the bottom line of our bank account. God's looking at the bottom line of our faith. Can we say amen? How's your bottom line? 
Is it strong today? Is it healthy today? Oh, I pray so. Grow it in Jesus' name. So God's going to say something to this king that I find absolutely remarkable. Verses 10 and 11. God's going to say to this king, Ask me for a sign. Now, you have to understand 2 Chronicles 28. The king of Syria has come against him. The king of Israel has come against him. He is in deep trouble. And he doesn't know where to turn. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to him. And he says, listen king, you're in trouble. You need help. And God says, here I am, ready to show my power. Ready to show my abilities. Ask me for a sign. And you know how detailed God gets? God says, ask for a sign as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. Do you know what God is saying? There are no limits. Ask me for anything you want to ask me for. I stand ready. I stand willing. I stand able. I stand eager to help you. But look at verse 12. This foolish king. This pagan. This man. Look what he does. He says... I will not ask, and I will not test the Lord. Now, someone may think, oh, well, how noble. Perhaps the king is saying, oh, shucks. I'm just not worthy of something like that. Oh, I couldn't do that. No. It's utter pride. It's utter arrogance. Matter of fact, it's the height of human arrogance. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I have no confidence in God. He's saying, I have no confidence that God will deliver. I have no confidence that God will help me. I do not trust in God. Verse 12, he flat rejects. He flat refuses the help of the Lord God Almighty. And he says, I will not ask. Am I preaching to someone today that somewhere down the line you have been hurt with God? You have grown offended with God. Somewhere down the line, God didn't do what you thought he should have done. God did not answer a prayer in the way you thought that God should answer it. And now today, your heart says, what's the use of praying? What's the use of trusting in God? Have you come to a place where you no longer have any confidence in God? You no longer trust Him? Now watch what happens. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 16. Isaiah is going to go on to prophesy. And it's going to be a dual prophecy, a dual meaning. And it's fascinating. Verse 14. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Emmanuel has implications all the way to Matthew, to the birth of Christ. Now understand what's happening. Syria has come against him. Israel has come against him. He is in deep trouble and he doesn't know where to go. And the prophet says to him, 
king. God's ready to help you. Ask him for anything you want. As high as the heavens, there, there are no limits. And the king refuses the help of the Lord. Stunning. Now we go to 2 Kings. Now remember what we said through our study. 2 Kings is a historical account of the kings, whereas Chronicles, even though it covers much of the same content, much of the same characters, whereas Kings is sort of a earthly view, a historical view, Chronicles is a heavenly view. It is God's perspective of what's going on. Kings covers both the north and the southern kingships. Chronicles highlights nearly exclusively on the house of Judah, on the southern kingdom. Why? Because that's the lineage of David. Why? Because that is going to be where the Lord Jesus Christ descends. 2 Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse number 10. Actually, note verse number 7. This is how crafty the king gets. Rather than looking to the Lord and accepting the help of the Lord... He goes to the king of Assyria. And he tells the king of Assyria, If you will come to my aid, I will be your servant. And he takes the gold and the silver and the precious things of God and gives it as a tribute to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria says, Yeah, you got a contract. You got a deal. He comes and he overthrows King Ahaz's enemies. And now, go with me to verse number 9. King Ahaz is now going to go up to Damascus to visit the king. And when he goes to Damascus, he sees their gods. And he sees the altar. And the unthinkable happens. Verse number 10, verses 9 and 10. He sends word back down to Jerusalem... To the priest, Uriah. And he tells the priest, I've seen this amazing altar of these amazing gods. They have helped the people of Damascus. I want this altar built. And he sends him the specs. Verses 11 and 12. Before the king even gets back to Jerusalem, Uriah, the priest who's supposed to be the priest of the Lord, who is supposed to be consecrated unto God... Has the altar already built? What a high insult to God Almighty. Verses 12 and 13. The unthinkable begins to happen. The king comes. He's so impressed with this new altar. That what he begins to do. Is he begins to make grain offerings. And burnt offerings. And drink offerings. And peace offerings. And even sprinkles the blood upon the altars. This new and unholy and pagan thing. Friends. You know what I think about when I read this. I think about the church of this generation and the wickedness that we've allowed inside of our churches. I have a great friend in the city who is a United Methodist pastor. 
And he was telling me just not long ago that in the state of Illinois, there is a popular United Methodist Church that literally has a drag queen as its senior pastor. We have allowed things that are unholy unto the Lord to come in to holy things. It is no different than what Ahaz is doing. I had someone ask me, are we an affirming church when it comes to homosexuality? Let me tell you, my friends, we will never affirm sin. And that goes for all sin. Not one thing. Not one crusade. All sin. All sin. All sin. Can we say amen to that? We've allowed unholy things in the holiest of places. We've, as Pastor Eric was saying earlier, we traded our righteousness for inclusion and to fit in. Let me tell you, Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. So Ahaz, I want you to watch this. Ahaz takes what is holy and makes it very unholy. Now, he does something that I find extremely fascinating. I want you to look at verse 14. He does not ruin the altar of God. He doesn't even throw it away. He doesn't dismantle it. Do you know what he does with the bronze altar of God? The thing which is holy unto the Lord. Do you know what he does? He tells Uriah, I want my new altar. I want my pagan altar. I want my idolatry. I want my worldliness. But here's what I want you to do with God's altar. Set it to the north side. Put it in the corner. Keep it at an arm's length. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Do you know what he did? He took what was God's. He took what was holy. He took what belonged to God. And he didn't just discard it. He tried to have both. Now look at verse 15. Why did he want the Lord's altar? You know why? He said, let me keep it so that I might have it for guidance. How many people want the guidance, they want the help of God, but they also want to live life on their own terms? They want God, but they want their sin. They want God, but they want their own lust and their own choices in life. Are we not in danger of the same mistake? That we'll love and we'll embrace and we will hold on to our sin with all of our might. But we'll keep God at an arm's length just in case. Let me tell you, my friends. God, many of us, we treat him like a spare tire. We're glad it's there. We just hope we don't have to use it. But if we do, we got a spare. No, God will not be treated that way. Can we say amen to that? And so King Uzziah, uh, I'm sorry, King Ahaz, here he is. Listen now, listen. He is 
He's been offered by God. Limitless. Ask me anything. Ask me for a sign and I'm going to show you my help. And I will show you that I am God above all. And he goes, no thank you, I'm not even interested. He goes up to Damascus. He sees their gods and their altar. And he comes down and takes what is holy unto the Lord. And he just utterly pushes it over to the side. And he goes, if I need help, I'll get my guidance over there. But until that, no, I'm going to do things on my own terms. Now I want you to go back to 2 Chronicles. And this is where I'll begin to close. 2 Chronicles 28. Now we're going to come full circle. The kings of Syria and Israel came against him. The Lord offered him help in Isaiah 7 and he refused it. He goes to the king of Assyria in 2 Kings 16 and buys the help of the Assyrians with the treasures of the Lord. And then brings their idols back to Jerusalem. And now, oh, when, when, oh thank you Lord, I almost forgot this. Just real quick, verse 16 of 2 Kings 16. The historians make sure to note, Uriah the priest did all that the king commanded. Let me ask you a question. Are you around people that's causing you to compromise your integrity? Are you around people that is really your spiritual downfall? Do you remember what the priest and the 80 other priests did? The king Uzziah, the grandfather of King Ahaz, when he went into the temple and wronged the Lord? Do you remember what they did? They were men of valor and they stood up to him and said, No king, you're wrong. Uriah had no backbone. And his sin is as great as King Ahaz. You know why? Because to permit is to participate. And his sin was just as great. Are people in your life causing you to fall spiritually? Are people in your life causing your integrity to be compromised? Get a backbone. Stand up against them. If you don't, you'll be standing against the Lord. 2 Chronicles 28, now if you will, look at verse 22. And I want to walk us briefly through, chapter, through verses 22 to 25. Verse number 22, things are getting worse for Ahaz. That tends to be what happens when God's people leave the holiness of God and goes into the world. Things get worse. And things are getting bad for Ahaz. I'll remind you, my precious friends. Well, <laughs> I remind you, good news is coming next week. Join me next week. <laughs> but may I remind you, not only those of you in the room, but see many people are watching online. May I remind you, there is pleasure in sin only for a season. Things will get much, much worse for you. Look at Ahaz. Verse 22. Things are getting bad. And the Bible says that when, when he was in his greatest distress. 
What, what ought we to do when we're in distress? Call upon the name of the Lord. But he refused. When he was in great distress, someone refresh me. What does verse 22 say? Help me for a moment. Oh, thank you. He became yet more faithless to the Lord. Are you as shocked as I am? More faithless. In other words, his gross sin grew in intensity. He became more faithless. Verse 23, note this. He took the gods of Damascus and he said, If the gods of Damascus help them, they'll help me. And he began to worship those gods. Utter idolatry. A slap in the face. An insult to God Almighty. And then worse more, he led the entire nation into idolatry. He led the whole country to turn its back on the Lord. Verse number 24, he then took the precious things of God. He took the remaining silver, the remaining gold. He cut them in pieces and redistributed. In other words, he stole the things of God. The holy things unto the Lord. And verse 24, look at the last phrase. Utterly stunning. This man who refused God's help, this man who called on the king of Assyria, this man who built altars unto Baal, this man who sacrificed his own sons, this man who was so wicked that he removed the bronze altar and put a pagan altar in its place and utterly, look what he did. He shut the doors to the house of the Lord. He cut the utilities. Shut the doors. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you got an email from our church this week and said, Preaching Cross Church is now closed and the doors were permanently locked and the utilities cut off? Could you imagine? But may I ask you a question? See, this building is nothing more than just sheetrock and a roof and carpet and chairs. You know God don't hang out here all week long, don't you? You know, when we leave today and we turn the lights out, God don't just sit in here and think, well, I can't wait until they come back. (laughs) Do you know who the temple of the Lord is today? We are. You are. How are you doing with God's temple today? Those of you that you're considering that affair, what are you going to do to God's temple? Those that want to stay in your addiction, what are you doing to God's temple? Those who engage in gluttony, what are we doing to God's temple? God's temple. He shut the doors. On the house of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your bodies, which are the Lord's. Because we're the temple. 
You know, next week in chapter 29, in the first two, three verses, when revival came, you know when it came? His son, Hezekiah, you know what the word says he did in chapter 29? He opened the doors to the house of the Lord. What would happen today if we opened our lives to the Spirit of God? And we said, God, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I will glorify you with my body, which belongs to the Lord. You know why this generation needs this word so strongly? Because sexual sin is rampant in this culture. It is rampant in this nation. It is rampant in the church. What would happen if we cleansed the temple? We'll find out next week when Hezekiah did it. And I'm going to have a word for many of you. Some of you come out of messed up homes. Some of you come from the worst parents. Some of you come from home lives that were so dysfunctional and so destructive. But let me tell you something, my friend. Hezekiah is one of the greatest kings God ever produced. And guess who his daddy was? King Ahaz. God redeems out of messed up homes. Amen? (laughs) And who your parents were isn't who you are in Jesus' name. Verse 24, he shut the doors on the house of the Lord. And verse 25, he provoked God to anger. Oh, I don't want to be that way. Oh, I don't want to be that person. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Is there anything in your life today that resembles Ahaz? Are you taking God at his word or are you rejecting the help of the Lord? Are you taking God at his word? Do you have confidence in God or are you refusing God's help? You may have a false pride today. You may have a false humility, I should say. You may have a false humility that goes, well, no, I'm not going to bother God and I'm not going to ask God for help. That's false humility. What it is in reality is pride. No, you need to take God at his word. You need to grow your faith today. You're dabbling in things of the world. You're worshiping God on your own terms and then living whatever lifestyle you desire. On the other hand, you're playing with holy things. You're playing with the holy things that belong to God. You are supposed to be holy. 1 Peter 1. You're destroying the temple. You're wrapped up in addictions. Destroying your body with wrong foods. Assaulting your temple. Are you yielding it to sin rather than yielding it? 
to the Holy Spirit. Oh, many of us are like King Ahaz. Say, Chad, what do I do? Turn from it. Turn from it. God's eager to help you. God's eager to deliver you. God is eager to show himself strong in your life. But you got to forsake your sin. You can't hold on to your pet sins. You can't love sin and love Jesus at the same time. You can't go on your own terms and follow Christ at the same time. You'll have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. You can't stay in that affair. You can't live that lifestyle. You can't love the things of the world and love the Father at the same time, Scripture says. It's one or the other. So why don't you draw a line in the sand this morning? Why don't you say enough is enough? My sin isn't worth it. My arrogance is not worth it. My pride is certainly not worth it. Why don't you draw a line in the sand today and say, I'm forsaking my sin. God wants to make you holy. God wants you to be separated, sanctified. God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit, permeate you, control you with His Spirit. But He will not compete with your sin. If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.